and start today with our message. I'm Greg, uh, for those of you that I haven't met. And uh, I want to start today by doing something that my 13-year-old daughter, Tori, who is sitting in here today, will be so pleased by. Uh, I want to tell you a story of her when she was only one. And not only that, a story of her when she was only one and she was wearing nothing but a diaper, right? Isn't that, uh, isn't that what every 13-year-old hopes that their dad will do in a public place, right? Uh, when Tori was one, I remember um, we had this trash can in our kitchen back then. And it was a large trash can. And I liked the large trash can because we didn't have to empty it as often as we would a smaller trash can. Uh, but it wouldn't fit anywhere. It wouldn't fit under the sink. It wouldn't fit uh, you know, in a cupboard or a pantry. So we had to leave it out. And when Tori was one, we had to teach her something. I'm sure she's forgotten, but we had to teach her not to play in the trash because it was tempting. It was sitting out. It was right there. It was available. So, uh, I mean, we could have bought a smaller trash can that would have been out of her eyesight, but I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to empty the trash more often. So instead, we decided to teach Tori the first big rule at our house, you do not play in the trash. Well, we thought we were doing okay with that. We were pretty proud of ourselves as parents, and I was pretty relieved that I wasn't going to have to buy a smaller trash can. Until one day, uh, I walked into the kitchen from behind in a kind of uh, a way that Tori would not have anticipated. And when I walked in, I saw something that made anger rise within me. I saw Tori with her back to me, wearing nothing but a diaper, which, which should have told me something, but it didn't. Wearing nothing but a diaper, her back to me, the trash can lid is open, and I see her hands inside the trash can. Um, and I decided this was going to be the first time when we draw a line in the sand and have some tough love, is what I decided in all my infinite wisdom. So I started letting Tori have it. I gave her the big angry speech about, we have rules in this house, and um, you don't play in the trash because Dad doesn't want to have to get a smaller trash can. And if, I, Actually, I didn't say that. I just gave her the whole deal about how you know there are rules here, and just because Mom and Dad are not watching, we still see you. We knew you were in here, you know, on and on and on. And Tori's reaction was, a big emotional outburst, crying, screaming. But I wasn't going to be manipulated by that. I kept right on with it. So my, our parenting book comes out next month. You can pick one up. But, uh, I went on and on, and then Tori gradually turned around toward me. And when I saw what I saw when she turned around, my, my heart sank a little bit because I noticed she was holding in her hand not something that she retrieved from the trash can, but instead a neatly wrapped diaper that uh, Rebecca had changed her diaper in the other room and had taught her to save Rebecca some trouble to bring the diaper in and to throw it away on her own. She had taught her this, and right as she was doing this, I came in and let her have it for playing in the trash. Yeah, not good, right? Uh, I had to do something that day, when uh, about a dozen years ago, that I've had to do a few times since. Uh, I had to get down on my knees in front of Tori, in front of one of my kids, and look them in the eye and say, I'm sorry. Uh, you were right. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Now, it turns out that one-year-olds are fairly forgiving, which was a good thing for me. And uh, it, you know, we got past that fairly quickly and moved on. Uh, but I share that just, uh, first of all, to embarrass Tori a little bit this morning. And, but mainly just to, to set up where we're heading this morning as we continue in our series on uh, stories that Jesus told on the parables. Uh, we're going to be touching on the topic of forgiveness, maybe from a different angle, but we're going to be touching on that topic. And it's a topic that is relevant, isn't it? If you live in close proximity with other people, this is something that, that, that becomes relevant to us sooner or later, as I found out that day. If you have kids, if you're married, if you have parents, if you have siblings, if you have a roommate, 
even if you don't live with anybody, if you work or go to school in close proximity with other people, if you share roadways in close proximity with other people, this issue is one that we cannot avoid. So uh, it's relevant for us today. But as we look at the story Jesus told, we're going to see the main reason he told this story uh, was to answer a question that one of his students, one of his disciples, asked him. And in the answer to the question, he tells a story. And I think his main reason in telling the story was to change our lenses, to help us to look at this whole issue of forgiveness in a new way. Now I want to show you some pictures right now of me in various lenses that I have sported over the years as we think about changing lenses. Um, Some of these pictures are humorous for a couple of reasons. First of all, because styles have changed. And secondly, as my daughter Tori tells me, I'm not always very hip with style. I think she's still bitter about that issue from 12 years ago. But but, uh, they have changed, and and my lenses have changed. And, And just a little fun way of illustrating that Today, what I hope we can get is a change of lenses through which we view the whole idea of what forgiveness is all about. So let's jump into it. We'll start with a question that Peter asked in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. You can follow along if you want, or we'll have it up on the screen here. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, when he's talking about brother or sister, he's not talking about siblings. He's talking about anybody. That was just his way of saying it. If somebody does me wrong, how many times do I have to forgive them? Up to seven times, he asked. Now, I I think the answer to this question depends on the lens that you're looking through the whole topic with. Uh, And if you think about it, I, I think even in our world, the answer to this question, how many times should you forgive somebody who wronged you, will depend on how you look at it. I, I think there's one way to look at this, what I would call the, uh, the common culture lenses. The way that most people really look at this question, they wouldn't say it, but if you go out and drive on the highways and you'll see, the, the common culture lens answer to this question would be zero. You don't forgive people when they do you wrong, right? If you don't believe it, cut somebody off on 95 on the way home and see how many times they forgive you. Probably will be zero. Uh, but there's other lenses we can look at with this question. We could look at what I would call, um, or look at it through what I would call polite society lenses. The rose-colored glasses. And this is what, if you ask most people, including a lot of us, how many times should I forgive somebody that wrongs me, we would probably tend to say, well, we ought to forgive them once, right? If somebody comes to us and says, I'm sorry I did that to you, we ought to forgive them one time anyway. Uh, We should give people a mulligan. Uh, But there is that old phrase, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? You heard that? The whole idea that, you know, we're not going to be taken advantage of here, right? And that's why I think that might be the polite society answer, one time. Uh, but we could switch lenses and look at it another way and maybe come up with a, uh, what I would call a spiritual answer. And this is uh, what I think where Peter's thinking started here when he suggested seven times. I would say the spiritual answer would be three times. And at least it was at the time when Peter asked the question. Back then there were Jewish rabbis who taught, if somebody does you wrong, you should forgive them three times. And if you think about it, that, that's not an easy thing to grasp if you're looking at it through normal lenses. Three times you should forgive somebody before before you've got him. And Peter knew that teaching, and I think that's where he comes up with his answer, his suggested answer to Jesus. And I think he's looking through, and this is just my opinion, but I think he's looking through what I would call self-righteous lenses. Uh, Legalistic lenses almost. Seven times is his proposed answer. I think Peter was trying to give a very spiritual-sounding answer to Jesus. He was trying to look pretty good. I don't know where he came up with seven, but the number seven is used a lot in the Bible. It's a number of completeness. 
It's a, a spiritual number, if you will. And I think he was just trying to buy into that and say, hey, Jesus, how about seven times? I've heard three, but what about seven? Well, Jesus' answer uh, would have, uh, I think, really changed the lenses through which Peter looked, both his direct answer and the story that he told. So moving on to verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Now, if you're following along in the program, this is the first place where you can write something in here, 77 times. But there's another way to translate these verses that makes it even worse. It could be 70 times seven times, which I, I'm not a math major, but I think that's 490 times, right? So uh, Jesus really ups the ante on this. And, and just to make sure that Peter didn't miss the point, couldn't you see Peter thinking, okay, well, just in case he meant it the 70 times seven way, that's 490. So when I get to 491, then I'm finally off the hook and forgiving this annoying person around me, right? And you might think, well, he would never think that. But let's face it, if you live in close proximity with other people, you might eventually get to time 491, right? If you stick around those people long enough, it can happen. The people you live with, right? It could happen. Um, but Jesus wanted to make sure Peter didn't, like, keep those lenses on, but switch lenses. So he told a story. He told what we call a parable to help illustrate a new way of looking at the entire topic of forgiveness. And today I have, I have entitled this the flow of forgiveness. I apologize for the awkwardness of that term, but I think it's the best way to explain what Jesus was teaching in this parable. So, so let's read it here. I'm going to read it from the message version of the Bible because it, it helps a little bit with some of the numbers. It helps translate them. So that's why I'm going with that. It'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along. Here's the story Jesus told. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up. So the king ordered the man along with his wife, children, and goods to be auctioned off at a slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged him, Give me a chance and I'll pay it back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no longer out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. And when the other servants saw this going on, the other servants saw this going on. They were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. And the king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you have been compelled to be merciful to your fellow servants who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid the entire debt. Wow, that, that's a, a very interesting story. I, I like to summarize it like this. There's a big guy, middle guy, little guy. Middle guy, oh, big guy, a bunch of money, $100,000 is said. You could translate it more like a million, I think. More than most of us could pay back, at least offhand. Uh, middle guy begged for mercy because he couldn't pay it back, at least not right away. Uh, big guy had, had decided to auction him off at a slave market. I, this is a cultural difference. It's good to know that if you go into debt here, you might end up having your stuff taken. You might end up having your wages garnished, but you won't be thrown into jail or auctioned off. Uh, but in that culture, that could happen. Uh, so this is the plight that the middle guy faced. He begged for mercy from the big guy. The big guy actually felt bad for him. And said, so not only am I going to let you off and not auction you and your family away, but I'm going to just erase the debt. Perhaps the big guy knew that middle guy could never pay it back. 
He lets him go, and as soon as middle guy leaves, you would think middle guy would be overwhelmed with gratitude. But middle guy is more human than that. I think he's a little nervous and insecure about what just took place. Middle guy comes across little guy who owes him 10 bucks, or at least some small amount of money that most people, even people who are struggling financially, would be able to pay back if they were given a little bit of time, right? But middle guy will not forgive little guy. In fact, has him thrown into a debtor's prison. And a report gets back to big guy that middle guy wouldn't forgive little guy. And big guy calls middle guy in and says, I'm going to treat you the same way that you treated little guy. And that's the story that Jesus told to illustrate to us this flow of forgiveness. Now, I wish we could just go from there because I, I, I could unpack that and have a lot of fun with that. But there's one more verse that I haven't read here that we have to uh, wrestle with for a few minutes. Uh, when we talk about this whole topic of the flow of forgiveness, it's the final verse in this story, Matthew 18, verse 35. It's one of those verses that over the years I've kind of wished were not in the Bible. And part of it is because I think because I've read it with the wrong lenses on for much of my life. But here's what it says. After Jesus tells the story about, you know, what happened to middle guy when he wouldn't forgive little guy and big guy got a hold of him, he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Now that verse has troubled me over the years because it's kind of, tempted me to go back into some old ideas about God, some old ideas that God's just waiting for me to mess up so that he can get me, right? Uh, ideas that I, I'd kind of learned uh, to do away with. And yet I read a verse like that, and, and there's other verses in the Bible that seem to say the same thing. Other teachings of Jesus that seem similar. And I'm like, wow, what do I do with that? And, uh, you know, I think part of the problem is, is I've looked at it through the wrong lenses for so long. And here's what I mean. We have to understand forgiveness the way the story presents it, as, as a flow that comes from somebody big to somebody little and flows on to other people around us. Uh, the issue is this. We can, and again, this is going back to the outline I've given you, we can dam up, as in D-A-M, we can dam up the flow of forgiveness. We have the power to do that. We can, no matter how much mercy we've received, we can build a dam and say, that's it, it's not going past me. I'm not going to extend grace to those around us. We can do that. But when we do it, we do so to our own detriment. And I really think that that's kind of the lesson that that, that last verse kind of teaches. Forgiveness is a flow that comes from God to us and then goes from us to others. And if we choose to dam it up and to stop it, It not only might hurt others around us, they might get what we think they deserve, but it also hurts us. We block the flow of forgiveness from from going to where it can. We do it to our own detriment. We are not the source of the flow of forgiveness. Now, there are other stories in Jesus' life that help us get this. Uh, There's a story about Jesus, not a story Jesus told, but a story about Jesus that helps us get this that I want to get to in just a minute. Uh, But before I get to that, let me just share that that Jesus talked about spiritual things uh, as flow sometimes, as, as an image of something flowing. Remember the slide we saw, the waterfall up here a few minutes ago dur- during that, that last worship song? That's kind of the idea that he sometimes used when talking about spiritual things, especially when we read about them in the book of John, John's version of that. Uh, we've talked about the woman at the well recently here uh, a couple of times in the last several months. That's a story where Jesus said to a woman, if you would have asked me for a drink, instead of me asking you for a drink, I would have given you living water. Water that wells up and springs up into a fountain of life. He used this imagery of living water, which which literally means flowing water. It's kind of like a river or a waterfall. Think about the ancient mind. A waterfall or a river must have seemed miraculous. You stand at the same place and water flows 
24-7. It never stops. Now, we understand it, I guess, because we've seen the, you know, the water cycle. We've heard it explained. We've, we've seen the scientific explanation. But if you forget all that for a minute, it is pretty amazing, right? That you can go look at, go to the banks of the Delaware, and the water continues to flow day and night, 24-7. It never ends. And that's the imagery that's used a lot about Jesus and, and by Jesus to, to help us understand spiritual things. And I think that's the imagery that helps us also understand this whole idea of forgiveness. We have to change our lenses to see it that way, to look through it a different way. Well, now let me get to that story that, about Jesus that helps me with this. Uh, it's a story found in John chapter 8. Uh, in this story, Jesus is teaching in a public place, and some of the religious leaders want to set a trap for him. So they go and they catch a person directly in the act of having an affair, and I mean red-handed in the act, they drag this person who happened to be uh, the woman. They, they, they bring her in to the place where Jesus is teaching, bring her before Jesus in order to set a trap for Jesus. They really don't even care about this woman's uh, morality or well-being. And they ask Jesus, look, the law of Moses said we're supposed to stone people, in other words, execute people by throwing rocks at them, uh, who do what this person has been caught doing. What do you say we do? They were setting a trap for Jesus because if Jesus would have said, okay, execute her, while that might have been consistent with the law of Moses, it would have been in violation of the law of the Romans, which was also in effect at the time. It was a trick question. It was a trap. There was no good answer, uh, so they thought. They were using this question to get Jesus, but Jesus had an interesting response. Uh, he said to the people who had gathered there, whoever here has never sinned, in other words, whoever here is morally perfect, go ahead and throw the first rock at this woman. Well, as we read the story, people left slowly. Uh, the older ones first, those who I assume were a little bit more aware, maybe, of their own rocky past, they took off. The younger ones left until only Jesus and the woman were left. So the trap setters came. Uh, it turned out no stone throwers showed up. But somebody else did show up in the story. Jesus said to the woman, did nobody condemn you? And she said, no one. And he said, then I don't condemn you either. Go, leave your life of sin. He became, in this story, what I would call the grace giver uh, in the story. He started the flow of forgiveness in that story. It was nowhere to be found until he started that flow of forgiveness. So I want us to think about the story. Think about how we would fit in the story. Do you ever do this? You hear a Bible story or you read one, and before you even know it, you automatically relate yourself to one of the characters in the story. Sometimes, you know, we like to feel good about ourselves, so we try to, well, we wouldn't have done what the disciples did. We would have done what Jesus did. Try to do that with this story for a minute. Who are we? Hopefully we're not the trap setters, although we tend to do that from time to time. I, I don't think most of us are stone throwers, thank goodness. Uh, and there were none in the story as well, as it turned out. Uh, we'd like to think of ourselves as the grace giver, right? That's who we want to be in the story. But if you really think about who we are to begin with, we, we are the woman, really. We show up kind of helpless. There's really not a whole lot we can do. We're kind of stuck in a situation. And if somebody hadn't begun the flow of forgiveness, there wouldn't be a whole lot we could do. Stories like that help me to get this whole idea more, this whole lens change of what forgiveness is all about. And to stop thinking of it as how many times do I have to forgive this person who continually wrongs me? How many times do I have to forgive that even though it was deeply painful? As opposed to seeing it as a flow, to seeing it as what... God has showered down on us like a, a waterfall, like that slide that we saw. Picture yourself standing at the bottom of that waterfall, getting drenched, if it doesn't, you know, drown you. Pretend you could live through it. And just think about if somebody came up to you right after that 
and came up and, and got very close to you, you would not be able to help but drip water on them, right? And I think that's the image here that we're supposed to get a, a, through this lens change of what forgiveness is really all about. We can dam up the flow of forgiveness. We, we can do that in our relationships. But we do it at our own detriment because we really are not the source of the flow of forgiveness. Well, I, I realize as I've shared all this and as you're maybe thinking about your own life, that for some of us here, probably a lot of us here, you've gone through something that, that makes this not quite so simple. You might agree with this from a spiritual point of view. You might think the waterfall image is helpful in understanding forgiveness. But because of the pain that's been inflicted, it's still it is hard to flesh out. It's still something you're not quite sure what to do with. And while I certainly don't understand what some of us here have gone through, uh, I would like to share a little bit of my story that, that maybe just gives a little bit of how this can play out. Rebecca and I are going to uh, celebrate our 17th wedding anniversary next month. Um, 17 years, and, and there's been a lot of good times in those 17 years. But six years ago, when we hit year 11, even then there had been a lot of great times that we had had. But there had also been some difficult times. There had been a lot of resentment, I would say, that had built up between us um, over time. Things that you can't just go out to dinner and have a talk and get rid of. Things that are a little bit more difficult sometimes to deal with than that. Uh, we found ourselves 11 years into marriage, six years ago, going to a week-long intensive marriage therapy session um, out in Montana near Glacier National Park with, with a, a counselor there, which, by the way, I highly recommend that. It was an amazing experience, both being at Glacier National Park and a week-long intensive therapy. It was like you got a year's worth of work done in a week. It was amazing. Uh, and it was really, really good for us. It was like there were so many things that, uh, that we dealt with in that week that uh, normally would take so long. There's so many difficult things that we were able to face the difficulty of and work through during that week. It was really good. At the end of that time, uh, we were challenged by our counselor, I think the, the last night before our last sessions, Thursday night, to write each other letters offering to forgive each other uh, for some of the things we had dealt with during the week. And, you know, you just do that out of the blue, and it may not seem that, that like that big a deal. But after having spent four days really kind of beating each other up and getting beat up by somebody who was calling us on our junk, uh, it was a powerful letter that we wrote, that I wrote to her and that she wrote to me. We read those to each other, and our counselor at Friday at noon said, instead of coming back for one last session, here's your assignment. I want you to go up into Glacier National Park, take those letters with you. I want you to go to uh, McDonald Creek, and I have a picture I want to show you of... Uh, of McDonald Creek. It was May, and the snow was still melting that year. It was a gushing river. I mean, you talk about flow. There, there was water flowing in this creek. And he asked us to go pick up stones near that creek. And I'm going to show you a picture now of those stones. Uh, and to, to take those stones, these are the actual stones we picked up then, and to get our letters out and to label each of those stones with something that we were committing to forgive each other for uh, that week and that day, and to sit and to talk about it and then after we talked about each one, to pick up those stones and to throw them into McDonald Creek. And I'll show you now where we threw those stones, where, where they landed in the water. I mean, they were gone. Now, I have to be honest. I'm the kind of person, if, if you'd have told me about that before we went, I would have said, that's hokey. That's silly. Who cares if we threw rocks in water? This is bigger stuff than that, right? I tend to be that way. But I have to tell you, having been there for a week, Rebecca and I, having had time to breathe, Time to work on things with each other, time to be guided, 
uh, me being confronted with some things that I needed to do differently, and she would probably tell you the same with her. It was a powerful experience. Some of the things that we threw into the water that day were little things, and some of them were big things. Some of the things we threw into the water that day, I can honestly tell you, have been gone. Not because we threw a rock in the water, but because we had really done some work that week. Uh, there's probably some things we're still trying to figure out. I won't lie to you, but some of the things I remember specifically we threw in that day, and they have been gone since then. It was a powerful illustration of the flow of forgiveness, if you will. Because the road was closed up higher in the mountains because of snow. We couldn't drive up to where those waters began. We don't know where they started. Uh, we never could trace where those rocks went after we threw them into that gushing stream. They were gone. And we'll never know exactly where they ended up. And that's really the idea. Uh, the, the lens change that Jesus is trying to help us see through this story today. Through the flow of forgiveness. Uh, we can dam up that flow, but we do so to our own detriment. We're the source. It starts somewhere else, and it comes to us, and it soaks us. It drenches us. And when it does, we can't help but drip. We can't help but soak those around us. I think that's what Jesus is trying to show us today. I'm going to invite the, the band to come back uh, as I pray and wrap this up. Father, today, as we try to apply this story to our lives, I want to ask that you will help us to, uh, to change our lenses, not just in our minds, but also in our hearts. That's where it's hardest. You will help us to really understand, even though that the pain and the difficulty of how others hurt us may be far more powerful than what I've given it credit for here this morning, that we really are standing in a waterfall of grace. Help us to get that. Father, uh, as we often end here today, for those maybe who are like saying, I really haven't experienced that waterfall, I really haven't experienced grace and love and forgiveness, I really haven't understood how God sees me, I haven't really done anything with that, I pray that today will be a day when we do that as well. God, overwhelm us with this today so that it changes. Amen.